John chapter 8 this morning. The message will be entitled, True or False? No, I'm not going to give you a quiz. Uh, I don't know how many of you had a teacher that gave you a lot of uh, quizzes when you came to class. Take out a three-by-five card, number from one to five, and uh, answer these questions, true or false. Uh, You always had a 50% chance of getting it right, right? So it's kind of an easy way of doing it, but... If you guessed wrong, I guess you guessed wrong. But this is not going to be a quiz. This is going to talk about uh, what Jesus had to say about that which is true, that which is false. Now, probably some of the most provoking, thought-provoking verses in the Bible are found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here we have people who call Jesus Lord, They have served him in some impressive way, even by prophesying, casting out demons, performing miracles in his name, and yet they will be turned away from heaven at the judgment because they are false children of God. I'm going to use that term, false children of God. Really, a false child of God is really no child of God. And since you and I dwell forever in either heaven or hell, you would want to make it absolutely sure that you're a true child of God, headed for heaven and not a false child of God who will spend eternity in hell. Now, our text this morning follows verses 30 and 31 where we saw that although they professed faith in Christ, it was not genuine, it was not saving faith. Uh, You go back to verse 33 where it becomes very clear that these believers were trusting their Jewish lineage for right standing with God. They mistakenly thought that being a Jew by birth automatically made them spiritually free. But Jesus said that actually they were slaves of sin. Only those who continued his word were truly his disciples. You know, I've heard uh, people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I was born into a Christian family. That's all I've ever known. That's I'm a Christian because my family was Christian. Well, they're using that term not in the sense of being saved, born again, regenerated, but they're using it as a just a label as Christian versus, say, Muslim or uh, some other religion. I've even heard some rather famous talk show hosts say, Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. And yet, uh, there's really not much evidence of people like that being Christians. 
Jesus said they were actually slaves of sin. And only those who continued in his word truly were his disciples. Now in verses 34 through 36, Jesus dealt with their claim to be spiritually free by showing them that they were only free if he set them free. And now he deals with their claim to be children of Abraham by showing that their claim was false as seen in their deeds. Their murderous intentions toward the Lord Jesus revealed that they were not children of God as they thought, but they were of the devil. Jesus is teaching here what he taught in other places, that conduct stems from one's nature. You know, a good tree produces good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Children of God produce good deeds. Children of the devil produce bad deeds. But it's not quite so easy to tell which are which, because often bad trees seem to produce good fruit. For example, we see many people who are not believers in Jesus Christ, but they are good people. We call them good people. Maybe you know some good people. Maybe your neighbors are good people. We've had neighbors that were really good neighbors, but they weren't saved. They weren't born again. They were caring. They were kind. Uh, They shared things with us. Uh, They gave generously to uh, charitable foundations that would help the needy. Uh, They're the type of people you'd really want to have as as a neighbor. Good people, you know. And on the other hand, there are some who seem to be the children of God, and yet they do some horrible things. And some those things sometimes land them in prison. You know, only God knows what is in the human heart. So we always have to be a, a bit tentative when determining whether someone else is a true or a false child of God. And sometimes we don't even know our own hearts because sometimes we vacillate, we go back and forth and in our desires, from loving God to loving the world, those really are exclusively, uh, uh, mutually exclusive, according to 1 John 2.15. So the, to the best of our ability, we need to apply the test to see, in our text, there's some test here to, to see whether we're really a true child of God or a false child of God. Well, A number of characteristics here, and we'll look at the false children of God first. The false children of God. False children of God think that they're following God. But they're actually following Satan and his evil deeds because they are not, they have never been born of God. And what makes this conversation, this dialogue concerning, uh, concerning is that these Jews who were actually children of the devil were very religious people. They professed to believe in Jesus. In other words, they weren't raw pagans. They weren't avowed atheists. They weren't Muslim terrorists. They weren't Hindu idolaters. They were people who professed to believe in God, the God of Abraham. And outwardly, they were very zealous in their religion. But Jesus very plainly tells them that they are deceived. They are actually in Satan's camp. And so we who profess to be Christians, perhaps even zealous about our faith, need to be very careful, and we need to think through five characteristics that make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves. Notice, first of all, false children of God 
are counting on religion. False children of God count on their religion to put them in good standing with God. This theme is repeated here so that we don't miss it. In verse 33, they tell Jesus, We be of Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? In verse 37, Jesus acknowledges that they were of Abraham's descendants physically, but he contends they were not Abraham's descendants spiritually. But they repeat it again in verse 39. Oh, Abraham is our father. And when Jesus points out in verses 39 and 41 what their deeds were, and that they were not in line with Abraham's, but indicated a different father, they come back with, oh, well, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now, there are a couple of things that come probably behind that comment there. It could be a subtle slur against Jesus and his birth, uh, alluding to the fact that his mother, so they thought, conceived out of wedlock. Rumors about Mary's pregnancy with Jesus had circulated for decades, and so the Jews may be putting Jesus down by saying, oh, well, Uh, We're not born of fornication. You're illegitimate because your mother was immoral, and we're not. Or it could be a statement that they were not like the Gentile idolaters. You know, often idolatry in the Old Testament is described as spiritual adultery. So the Jews' response here means, you know, we weren't born like the idolatrous uh, Gentiles. Rather, we're Jews. God is our Father. But however you take it, whether it's a a slur against Jesus' birth or a a comment about Gentile idolaters, it's very clear that these Jews were counting on their Jewish heritage and religion to put them in right standing before God. And that's not a good thing, young people, to say, well, my dad and my mom are Christians, so I must be a Christian too. The Apostle Paul did the same thing when he was a Pharisee. He boasted in his Jewish credentials in Philippians chapter 3. But after God saved him, what did he do? He counted all that as loss. And he wrote in Romans chapter 2, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is of that of that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. And then in Galatians Paul wrote, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. You know, it's a great blessing to be born in a Christian family. And I hope some of you young people understand what a blessing it is. I was born into a Christian family. I was brought up in church, so to speak. And I'm thankful for that. But that blessing increased my accountability and it increases your accountability to respond to the light that you've been given. You've been told about the Lord Jesus Christ from the time you were in Sunday school all the way until now. What is your spiritual status you say well i'm a christian 
because I've been brought up in church. My parents are Christians. Not good enough. Won't work. Your religious upbringing will do you no good and will only increase your responsibility on Judgment Day if you do not respond to the gospel with repentance for your sins and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these false children of God were counting on their religion. Secondly, they were being deceived by or about salvation. They were being deceived about salvation. False children of God are deceived into thinking that they are children of God while their actions actually show them to be children of the devil. These Jews claimed that Abraham and God were their spiritual fathers, uh, yet they were blind as to their real spiritual father, namely the devil. In reply to their contention that Abraham was their father, Jesus said in verse 39 and 40, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. And then in response to their claim that God was their father, he replies in verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And so they were claiming to be devoted followers of their religion. At the same time, they were trying to kill God's unique son, whom he had sent to earth for their salvation. And their actions revealed their true nature. They were children of the devil. Jesus goes on here in verse 44 to explain that Satan is both a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. He murdered the entire human race by lying to Eve about what God had said. And as such, he is the author of all the murders and all the lies that ever have uh, uh, taken place since that tragic incident in the garden. And since these Jews were seeking to murder Jesus, and since they were liars, we'll see down in verse 55 later, they were reflecting their true nature as children of the devil. As they say, he's a chip off the old block. Or some people say, like father, like son. Tragically, these Jews didn't see how deceived they were. They thought they were the righteous ones and that Jesus was the liar and the deceiver. Now here's the hard question each of us needs to ask ourselves so that we don't end up being deceived. Whose child do my actions reveal me to be? Whose child do my actions reveal me to be? And there are far more tests that than these two in verse 44. But you just take these two. Do you have murderous intents for others? You say, whoa, I'm off the hook there. I'm sure glad I don't have murderous intents for uh, other people. I don't want to kill anybody. Well, be careful what you say sometimes. I could just kill that guy, you know. I know, we're... It's a figure of speech, but it's, it's something that we need to be careful with. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5... 
Verse 21 and 22, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So you say, well, that's pretty strict. That's pretty uh, uh, thought-provoking. If you're an angry person, you get uh, you need to get radical in eliminating that sin from your life. Because it indicates that the devil has a foothold in your life. And at worst, it indicates you may not be a true, true a child of God. But in either case, anger is not just a minor thing. It's a sin, a major sin. Or take the other test here in verse 4 to 4. Lying. Jesus says, Satan, abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Are you committed to being a truthful person? Or do you bend the truth when you think, well, this might be to my advantage? Or do you put... On a Christian front, and I put Christian in quotes there, so that you look good at church, but you actually live in violation of God's word at home, or when you're in private. Hypocrisy is lying. If you're here putting on a front this morning, and this is not the real you, that's lying. Being truthful is the mark of God's true children, but lying is the mark of the devil's children. I'm not telling you this is not my opinion. This is God's word, okay? Don't get mad at me. This is what God's word says. Thirdly, eliminating God's word. False children of God seek to eliminate Christ and his word from their lives because they don't want to hear the truth about sin. These Jews were seeking to kill Jesus because his word had no place in them. Jesus tells us in verse 40, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Verse 45, Jesus adds, And because I tell you the truth... Ye believe me not. The truth threatened them because it exposed their sinful hearts. Rather than believing the truth and repenting of their sin, they were trying to eliminate the messenger. Again, keep in mind that we're not talking about atheists here or agnostics. We're talking about outwardly religious people. In modern terms, they could be active church members some of whom have served on boards of leadership or committees of leadership. Some could have even been the pastor. So you have to ask, well, how do professing Christians today try to eliminate Christ and his word from their lives? Well, first of all, by undermining the authority of the scripture. 
You know, it often starts by rejecting parts of the scripture as not really being scripture. There are those who would say, you know, the early chapters of Genesis, uh, that's really, that's not, that's just myth. That's not really true. Well, that's eliminating God's word. Now, why do people want to eliminate the early chapters of Genesis? Well, it's because they believe in evolution. And this goes against evolution. And so, well, that's really not important. It's just a myth. It's just someone's ideas. That's eliminating. That's undermining the authority uh, of Scripture. And then it moves on from there to eliminate the miracles in the Bible. God, there's no miracles. There's no, we don't believe in the supernatural. That's foolishness. That's what they say. That's undermining the authority of the Scriptures. And then they distance themselves from parts of the Bible that don't align with their modern, enlightened understanding of things. For example, they argue the biblical roles for men and women are culturally antiquated. They're out of date. And so those aren't binding to us today. Because our culture, we, we, we think different today. And so these things in the Bible are really not, not uh, relevant to us. They argue that the Bible's view of homosexuality is homophobic. And the primary virtue in the Bible is love and tolerance for everyone. So we can't condemn anything as wrong, any wrong in any behavior or belief, no matter how unbiblical it may be. That's undermining the authority of the Scriptures. Secondly, by neglecting the Word of God. It's easy to throw stones at the liberals and ignore how even we as independent Baptists may be eliminating Christ and His Word from our lives because we don't want to hear the truth about sin. One way we do it is simply by neglecting the Word. We don't read it as we should. We don't seek to obey it as we should. We're ignorant of it and what it says because we haven't taken the time to read it. We aren't meditating upon it. And so we're neglecting the Word of God. Another way to eliminate or at least dilute Christ and His Word from our lives is by mixing it with worldly ideas. You know, an example of this would be the modern psychotherapy. The widespread self-esteem teaching flooding not only into our schools, but into churches, not because it was discovered in the Bible, but because it came through worldly psychologists. It flies in the face of biblical teachings on humility. It serves to build our pride, which is the root of all sins. Another way to eliminate or dilute Christ's words so that we can do what we want rather than what God commands is by putting other revelations alongside the word. These so-called revelations, in effect, supersede the word. I've heard Christians say that God told them that it was okay for them to do something like marry an unbeliever. God told them personally, it's okay if you marry an unbeliever. That's not what God's word says. Be ye not unequally yoked. Heard of a man, man who say that God told them they could divorce their wife. 
That's not what God's Word says. A charismatic pastor was separated from his wife on the way to divorce, but the leaders of the church had not asked him to step down. When asked why they did not do that, one of the leaders replied, well, God hasn't told us to do that. Well, then they weren't reading their Bible. They didn't read 1 Timothy chapter 3. No, the Lord hasn't told us to do that. And so unbiblical revelations take precedence over God's Word, allowing us to do what we want when it isn't convenient or it isn't easy to do what God commands. Eliminating God's Word, undermining, neglecting it, mixing it with worldly ideas, putting other revelations alongside it. This is God's completed Word of God. Notice, fourthly, not only these false children of God count on religion and are deceived by their salvation, they're eliminating God's Word, but they're reacting to conviction. False children of God attack or look down on those who convict them of sin. This is behind the Jews' comment here in verse 41. We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Again, that was either a slur against Jesus, so they didn't have to listen to him, or it was a derogatory remark about Gentile idolatry. But either way, it diverted the issue from their deed or their need to confront their own sin by pointing at others and their supposed faults. You know, invariably, false believers do not let God's word confront their sins. True believers allow the light of God's word to expose their sins so that they will turn from them and they will grow in holiness. And then false children misunderstand God's word. A misunderstanding of God's word. False children are not able to understand and obey Jesus' word because they're not born of God. And this really gets to the root of their problem. It comes up here twice. In, eight, and in verse 43, Jesus says, Why do you not understand my speech? And he answers his own question. Even because you cannot hear my word. He does not say, you do not hear my word, but rather, you cannot hear my word. They lack the spiritual ability to hear Jesus' word, which primarily means to obey it. Then in verse 46, it says, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? And then he again answers his own question, verse 47. He says, is he that is of God heareth God's words? Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. In other words, they were not born of God. The Bible is very clear uh, that because of sin, unbelievers cannot do anything pleasing to God. They are unable to understand the gospel or the spiritual truth, and yet God holds them responsible for their unbelief. If you say, well, that's not fair. Well, you're contending against the God of the universe then. Be careful. Rather than rail against God, we need to cry out to him for mercy. 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you get saved, remember, by doing His will, you are in Christ Jesus. And the reason that false children of God follow Satan and his evil deed is because they've never been born of God. Well, that's false children of God. Those are some tests. Now let's look at the true children of God. True children of God love Jesus and obey his word because they've been born of God. And really, briefly here, four marks of true children of God. First of all, giving God's word primary place. True children of God give God's word the primary place in their life. This is the opposite of what Jesus said about the false believers in verse 37. He said, my word hath no place in you. The word translated, uh, translated no place can mean my word makes no progress in you. Or as we saw in verse 31, they did not continue in Jesus' word, which is the mark of his true disciples. I said, I think last, last week, continuing or abiding in Jesus' word is the key to experiencing consistent victory over sin. The true children of God can say with the psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Giving God's word a primary place, first place, the most important place in your life. More important than the books you read, more important than the magazines you read, more important than the television you watch, more important than Facebook. Woo-woo. Done preaching, gone to meddling. Where is God's word in your life? Is it have a primary place? Notice obeying God's word. True children of God obey God's word. Jesus said in verse 47, He that is of God heareth God's word. He, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Hears, the word hears there does not mean just hearing the words audibly. Oh, the Pharisees, they did that. They could hear it. Rather, it means to hear as to obey. Verse 39, Jesus says that if they were Abraham's true children, they would do the deeds of Abraham. Abraham was noted for believing God so that he was justified by faith and obeying God, which demonstrated his faith was genuine. And as John says in 1 John 2 and verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him, How? If we keep his commandments. Is your life marked by obedience to God's word? And then thirdly, loving the Lord Jesus. If God were your father, in verse 42, ye would love me. Jesus repeatedly asked Peter when he restored him after his denials, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Paul shows the importance of this in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema or accursed. You see, love is a commitment to seek the highest good of the one loved. Love for Christ is a commitment to seek his glory through all that I do. It certainly involves my feelings. 
and that I'm most happy when I see the Lord most glorified. But the basis of biblical love isn't my feelings, but the commitment to seek His highest good. I wonder, have you made that commitment? Do you love Jesus enough to forsake your sin? And then, fourthly, displaying the new birth. True children of God love Jesus, obey His word because they've been born of God. And as we saw at the heart of why false children of God are not able to understand and obey Jesus' word is because they're not of God. The flip side of this in verse 47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Being of God means being born of God through the new birth. The reason that We now love Jesus, obey His word, is because we have a new nature. The Spirit of God dwells in us and opens up to us the treasures of God's word. And so the reality of the new birth that distinguishes true children of God from the false. Displaying that new birth. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, Paul writes, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that your your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. You know, it's possible to go too far and become overly introspective, but I don't want to be anyone, I don't want anyone to do that. But it is possible to just kind of say, Oh, well, what will happen will happen. Just go through life kind of glibly, assuming that you're a true, uh, you know, I was born into a Christian home. I go to a good church. Uh, I must be okay. Don't just treat it that way lightly. Because you're just going through the outward motions of Christianity. And perhaps this morning your heart is really far from God. If you would be utterly, it would be utterly tragic to hear the words that we started the message out with in Matthew. If Jesus said, when you come to the judgment, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Make sure that you're a true child of God. Let's pray. Father.